0: You can be seated. Good morning, everybody. How are we? It's great. <laughs> I keep asking, you know, and I'm going to keep asking because at some point we're going to respond. We're going to go from there. Um, it's good to be together today. We will be in um, Mark. We've been in the book of Mark. So, Mark chapter six, um, we are going to start in verse. 45, and we're going to go through verse 52. So, if you have your Bibles, you can turn there. If you don't have one, not a problem. We have them at the end of the aisles um, for you. So, you can find it there. If you don't own a Bible, that's a gift to you. It's all yours. Take it and read it cover to cover. And um, yeah, excited to be together. Um, So, today, uh, we we continue in this series. A lot has happened uh, in this book, and I think our aim our goal has been uh just to ask the question that we think that the author mark is 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 putting before us which is this question of who do you say that jesus is and it's been challenging for me to look at all these different stories that have been accumulated these stories that are told through peter that are written by mark and you see this beautiful picture of the portrayal of jesus kind of come to life so last week we talked about um There was this climactic um, miracle in, honestly, in the ministry of Jesus in Galilee. So Jesus has been in this region of Galilee, um, which if you're looking at the map of Israel, Jerusalem's down here, the sea of Galilee is up up here, and Jesus has kind of just been all over this portion. Uh, And so he's been traveling all around this region doing miracles and teachings, but at one point he sends out his disciples. Um, The 12 go out and they come back to him and they go and find a desolate place, but as they get there... There is, it says, 5,000 men, um, probably around 15,000, including women and children, um, people there, a crowd. Um, And it's kind of this moment that's the climax of this ministry in Galilee, where the the influence of Jesus has grown leaps and bounds. Um, It has grown to a point where it is changing the shape of the culture and the context and the entire ancient world. Like Jesus is the movement beginning. Uh, and so what happens is that Jesus, he walks, and I love this, he walks his disciples through this miracle um, where they first observe that the people are hungry, and then after that Jesus says, well, then you feed them. And so he says, they say, we don't have anything. And he says, well, what do you have? And they go and they find these two fish and these five loaves, and it says that Jesus took the bread, he said a blessing, he broke the bread, he gave it to his disciples who then, de- then delivered it. To the rest of the people and they were satisfied, and we connected this story. And the reason that this is really important is because of what happens at the end of our passage today. But we connected this story to the other meals in this book. Um, there's two more. There's one in chapter eight, and then there's one at the end of the book. And that one is the one that's that both of the first are pointing to, which is the Last Supper, where again Jesus is sitting at a table with his disciples, and he takes the bread and he says a blessing, and he breaks the bread, and he gives it to his disciples. And and he says, this is my body broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And so you see in this moment where Jesus is ministering to a crowd of 15,000 people, the whole point of the message, the whole point of the miracle, was that Jesus is the bread. Like that is the point. That this was not about them being physically nourished. This was not about them having full stomachs. The entire point is that he is the living bread and that he was going to lay his life down so that they could then be satisfied. And then the beautiful picture is that the disciples then take that bread and they satisfy others. It's the same thing. And so you have this wonderful, wonderful picture and depiction of what is to come. But it all kind of takes place here. And there's many different gospels that that talk about it. Uh, And one of the ones that is most explicit is John. Um, And John's depiction of it in John 6, 32, it says, Jesus then said, he says, truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave the bread from heaven, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, sir, give us this bread always. And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. In me shall never thirst. That's the point. So, Jesus is trying to communicate because right after this scene, right after that happens, you have the next day, it says in John's gospel, that you have this crowd that finds Jesus again. And it really, it's because it says they're, they're, they want another meal. Um, and so, Jesus gives this teaching. And he's saying, I am the bread of life. You need something that's going to fully and permanently satisfy you. That's what you're looking for. And so today, um, we noticed that it wasn't only the crowd that misunderstood the purpose of the miracle, but what we're going to notice, even as we read it, so before we read our passage, which we're about to do, I want you to notice also the disciples' understanding of this miracle. So today, we're going to talk about Jesus on the water. Um, Jesus walks on the water, so it's an exciting day. We've had a lot of storms recently, so maybe it's appropriate. Um, all right. So, Mark chapter six. I'm going to start in verse forty-five. So, this is immediately following everything that we just talked about. Immediately, um, he made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side of Bethsaida. Which he, while he dismissed the crowd, and after he had taken leave of them, he went up on the mountain to pray. When evening came, the boat was out on the sea, and he was alone on the land. And he got into the boat with them, and the wind ceased, and they were utterly astounded, for they did not understand about the loaves, but their hearts were hardened. Let me pray for us this morning. Father, teach us this morning what we don't understand. Um, Lord, would you prepare our hearts? Would you, if our hearts need to be softened, Lord, would you soften our hearts? Um, Lord, if our hearts need to be cared for, would you care for them? Um, Lord, what we don't understand and what we're lacking, would you just graciously, in a way that only you can, would you speak to us? Lord, would you show us how much you care for us, how much you love us, exactly who you are? Um, Lord, I pray that our faith would grow today. Um, I pray that as we look at your word, that our belief in Jesus Christ would change. Lord, that we would be challenged if we need to be challenged. We'd be encouraged if we need to be encouraged but ultimately as we sit with your truth, that we would see that it, it shapes us, that it changes who we are. So Lord, I pray that you would do that to us today and with us. Um, Father, we're, we're yours and we're grateful to be so uh, in your name. Amen. Amen. All right. So I drove through a storm Monday. In um, storms, uh, this is the second storm that we have in this. So at the end of chapter four, we get one and then we get one here. I love storms. I like storms. They're great. Um, if you're indoors, I was indoors, but I was in a car. Right. So, and it was a zip car, which I just started using. But the thing about zip cars is everyone uses them. So they're not in great condition oftentimes. Um, and so I'm traveling in this car and the, the wheels are like bald, right? So I'm nervous, but I'm like, I got to get there. So, and it was one of those storms that it was like, it was just like, you ever like drive and you realize like, all right, this isn't safe any longer, you know? And like, it's people are pulling off to the side of the road, but I'm like, I got to get there. So you're just kind of making your way either way. And so like, there's these storms that we have, and we see this like in our own life, but I've never actually been in this scene, which is like a storm on the water. I don't know if you've been on the water. I just didn't grow up on the water. Um, I've sailed one time and it was with a friend and it was terrifying. The sailboat was far smaller than I thought it would be. <laughs> um, but either way, we you, like on the water, there's this like, Like to look at the ocean is absolutely humbling, just like its vastness. But when you're on the water and you look at the waves, even waves that crash on the shore during a storm are overwhelming. But to think that you would be on the water and to be in the middle of the ocean or middle of a sea and you would be at a point where you would notice this is no longer something that is just like entertaining or a change of setting or different or fun because it's raining, it's like this is dangerous. that's the scene that we're in today, where this, the disciples, again, find themselves in this scene. Now, I don't know if you have, um, if you're familiar with this story. Uh, how many of you, by raise of hand, would say that, like, I've heard this story before. This is something that I see referenced all the time. Jesus walked on the water, you know. Even if you're not a believer, a lot of times people will, like, they'll be like, oh, you can walk on water. What are you, Jesus? You know, It's like, listen, there's like, there's, this story is just infamous. But oftentimes when this story is told, it's told from Matthew's perspective. Um, so it's told three times. It's told, told in the book of John, the book of Matthew, and the book of Mark. Um, Matthew, the reason that it's told from his perspective um, is that it tells a little bit more of the story. So in, in Matthew 14:31, it says, Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying to him, Oh, you of little faith, why do you doubt? What he's talking about there is there's this interaction that happens between Jesus and and Peter on the water that we talk about often, where Peter steps out of the boat and he walks towards Christ and the waves begin to overwhelm him and becomes fearful and he takes his eyes off of Christ and he begins to sink. And then Jesus reaches his hand down and he says, oh, you of little faith, why do you doubt? And that is an absolutely crucial and important part of the story. But I think the question that we have to ask today um, is why does Mark not tell that? (laughs) Um, Why does he not tell that portion? And not only that, I think it's helpful for us to realize that Mark is the author. But if we remember to like the whole day of context that we did at the beginning of this, Mark is the author, but Peter's the one that's telling the story. These are Peter's stories. Mark was a scribe for Peter. And so Peter's the one that stepped out on the water. Why does Peter not share that? Like, if it was me, that would probably be the first thing that I share. Like, no, seriously, I walked on water. It's crazy for like two seconds. <laughs> but like, Peter doesn't share this portion of the story. And so the question is, why? And as we look, and we look at Mark and we look at, and we look at Peter and we're going to see this as throughout the book, of, the book of Mark is that what they do, and I think all the gospel writers aim to do this, what they do is to keep Jesus as the central focus of everything. But Mark specifically and Peter do it through reduction. Like they're, they eliminate things so that you would be forced to focus and to reckon with and to make decisions about the actual Jesus that's being portrayed in front of you. And so Jesus in this scene is the main focus. And so Peter, he doesn't tell his portion of the story, even though I think it's extremely helpful. But Mark starts it with a word that we all find very familiar because we've been reading the book of Mark. In verse 45, he says, immediately, um, which I think um, I think is one of the more appropriate immediately's that we've gotten I think Mark, has, um, he uses this word pretty flippantly. Um, it's intentional, but he says, immediately he made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side, to Bethsaida, while he, was, he, while he dismissed the crowd. And so what you see here is that after Jesus feeds the crowd, um, something happens. And we see this in, in John's, John's portrayal of the crowd. It says that they indeed, uh, this is indeed the prophet. This was the crowd's response to to Jesus feeding them. They said, this is indeed the prophet who is to come into the world, perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king. Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. And so there's this kind of scene where you have like 15,000 people is not like a little people, like that's a lot of people. And at some point they all realize like, this is the prophet that we've been promised, but they have a misunderstanding of what that prophet was meant to do. And so they were saying, he's meant to be this earthly king. Like he's going to be this political leader and he can like, he can feed 15,000 people. Are you kidding me? Like we need him to be king now. And so Jesus perceives this is getting a little chaotic and they're about to take him by force. And so what he does is that immediately, very quickly, he takes his disciples and he puts them in the boat. And he says that Jesus dismisses the crowd, which I'm sure was a lot. I don't know what that means, but there was probably a lot that happened there. So Jesus dismisses the crowd. And he goes up on the mountain to pray. And so now you have this picture that it says in in Mark 6, 46, that after he had taken leave of them, he goes up on the mountain to pray. And when evening came, the boat that was on the sea, and he was alone on, the boat was on the sea, and that he was alone on the land. So you see Jesus ascending onto the mountain, and you see his disciples entering into this boat, and they go out onto the ocean, and something happens. Um, the picture that we get from Matthew, as he describes it, he says, the boat by this time was long away from the land. It was beaten by the waves, for the wind was against them. So part of the reason that we know that they had a hard time is because ultimately they didn't end up in Bethsaida. They ended up in Gennesaret, which is a completely different town. (laughs) Um, So they get completely off course, and they end up somewhere they're not supposed to be, but the wind and the waves are pushing against them and again this is not the first time that they've been in this setting um at the end of chapter four they're in this setting um where they're on the sea of galilee um, and the the wind picks up but jesus is in the boat so jesus is in the boat and he's sleeping in the boat and they are panicking and the winds and the waves are crashing over the side. And they get to the point where, because of their fear, um, they begin to accuse Jesus. Um, they actually look at him and they say, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And so they begin to question his heart. Um, and I think there's a lot of grace for the disciples in this moment because. I think I would have had the same exact response, but Jesus stands up and he rebukes the storm. He says, peace, be still. And then he looks at them and he says, why are you so afraid? Have you so little faith? Um, But here's like the difference in this moment is that Jesus is not in the boat. Like that whole picture was that Jesus is, he's here with us, right? Like we're terrified and he overcomes, but like Jesus is in the boat with us and he stands up and he says, peace. But now What's different about this scene is that Jesus is, the one that calms the seas is on the shore and they are in the boat and they are far off. And they're, what what it feels like, completely alone. Um, And I think as I thought about it this week, um, a question came to mind where I just began to think like, man, what do we do when we feel like we've been completely abandoned by Jesus? What do you do do when you feel like you've been left alone? Um, I think we've all gone through different times in our lives where it's just crazy and like chaos. It it could be circumstances. Um, It could be things that are outside of your control. And the way that we said it last time is like, man, you could be at a point where it feels like your circumstances are outpacing your actual resources and ability to overcome, and you've just become tired. Or you could be at a point where you just feel like emotionally, like <clears throat> you've just been left alone. Like, where is Jesus? And I think we've all been there. Um, and <clears throat> me personally, something that I often like, this is just like a process that I go through is that, um, oftentimes when, I, when that happens in my life, one of two things happens. The very first thing that happens oftentimes is that I think that there's something wrong with me. Um, I just begin to question, like, am I not enough? Like, there's this, there's this innate, like, shame that just is there. Um, you begin to question the decisions you made and, and why you are where you are. Um, but then at the end of that, there's something else that happens, and this is probably maybe just uh, probably even more so harmful. It's, you begin to question, um, is something wrong with God? Like, We can begin to question whether God is really with us. Does he see us in the middle of this storm? Maybe it's not even that he, like questioning, does he have the power to stop this storm? But like, does he care to stop it? Um, And here's the difficult thing about this passage is that neither of those are true. Like that is what makes this passage really hard. Because for me, it makes a little bit more sense when you look at, like, the story of Jonah, (laughs) you know? Like, in the story of Jonah, like, Jonah, like, God says, get up and go to Nineveh, and he, like, catches the next boat, like, as far away as he possibly can. And then there's a storm that comes, and it, like, the storm corrects Jonah in his path and puts him exactly where he needs to be after a couple days in the belly of a fish. And you're like, that's, like, Like, to me, I I guess that makes a little bit more sense because you're like, I understand why the storm was necessary for correction, and God certainly can bring storms for correction. Like, that can happen. But what we see here is that the disciples are exactly where they're supposed to be. Like, Jesus is the one that told them to get in the boat, and the storm still comes, right? And so, what do we do? What do we do when we feel like we're in a storm and you do not understand why. Um, I think what we're going to see today and what I want us to see, there's just a couple of main things that we see in the way that Jesus comes towards his disciples. Um, But I I think what we're going to see today is is that the bridge between fear and peace is belief. Like there is this fear that overcomes and there's this peace that they long for and that Jesus, that Jesus brings. And there is this belief in genuine faith. And not just in faith that, that God can change our circumstances, but this is what we've been challenged with from the beginning of this story. Faith in who do you say he is? And do you believe that's actually gonna change the storm? Not just do you believe that he will change it, but like who do you say that he is? So let's keep reading. Um, Mark chapter 6, 48, he says, And he saw that they were making headway painfully, for the wind was against them. And about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them, walking on the sea. He meant to pass by them. <laughs> this is a loaded verse. Um, so first, there's two, there's two miracles that happen here. Um, the, first, the second miracle is that Jesus walks on water. Did you catch the first one? Um, the first miracle is that Jesus sees them. Like, he's on the mountain, and it says, actually, um, I think it says in John's Gospel that they were two or three miles past. Yes, they are two or three miles past where they were supposed to be. Um, And so now, like, these are two or three miles out into the ocean, and now you have Jesus up on the mountain, and it says that he sees them. And so I think we established last week that the farthest that a human eye can see on the shore is 2.8 miles. Um, and so if, you're, if it's in the middle of a storm, you're significantly more limited. And so there is this like supernatural sight that Jesus has where he is on the mountain, but he sees his disciples in distress. And it's the very first thing that is like part of this belief, that he's asking the disciples to believe. Do you believe that I can? That I see you? And that's, sometimes that's like the hardest belief for us, like, because we just feel like we're alone in this. So the first belief is like, do I believe that Jesus sees me in my distress? And then do you believe that he's actually going to come to me? And so Jesus begins to walk on water and he makes his way out to them. And then the very like at the end of this passage, it says at the end of what we just read, it says he meant to pass by them. So this is about the fourth watch, which is between like three and six a.m., um, he, he came to them walking on the seas, which is a beautiful picture of the fact that he is the God that actually made and can rule creation. We established this last time where it's like this is the God of the Old Testament that actually split the Red Sea. Like this is that God in human flesh, but he's walking on the water now. And so as Jesus is making his way over top of what is actually oppressing them and walking towards them on this water, he finds himself before them and it says he meant to pass by them. And that's weird. Um, That's what it feels like to me. Like that just feels like, what do you mean he meant to pass by them? Like the whole point for you to go out there is because they need you. Like why would you pass by them? That doesn't make any sense. Um, Kind of Jesus is like, making his way past him he's like trying to beat him to the other side and they're like oh we caught you you know it's like no it's just like when you just read it just like read it like just initially you're like man this is kind of like odd what do you mean that he meant to pass by because the whole point was that he would be there and I think one of the I think this is where I think the story gets rich um not that it hasn't been already but this is where I think you find the depth and understanding that these stories are meant to point to the greater story and narrative of Scripture. And I think we've seen this throughout Jesus' ministry. Like as he feeds the people in the wilderness, it's a, it's a remembrance and a reminder that God also fed his people in the wilderness, you know? It's like there's these pictures and these things that Jesus does that are a perfect depiction of that God. And so as you look at this... Um, there's something, and this is going to be, I don't know if it's a new word for you, but it may be helpful. Um, there's something that we see throughout scripture that's called a theophany. Um, a theophany is an appearance of God. So it's an intense manifestation of the presence of God that is accompanied by an extraordinary visual display. It's not my definition. <laughs> um, I'll read it again. It's an appearance of God, an intense manifestation of the presence of God that is accompanied by an extraordinary visual display. So it's, you have these moments throughout um, the Old Testament where like God shows up in a bush, like a burning bush, and Moses hears his voice. You have then his people leaving Egypt in the Exodus where God is leading his people by a cloud by day and fire by night. Like there's these there's these actual visual representations of God actually leading his people. And the beauty of these theophanies is that what they represent is that God is with us. Like that's, that's what they point to. That we have, a, we have a God. While there is separation because of sin, that there is a God that is actually desires and longs and is actually his presence is with us what you have here, like, and you look at these, like, moments throughout the Old Testament, that there's a couple of them that are extremely important to these people. Like, there's a couple of these moments that are told over and over and over and over again. Um, and one of them is with Moses. This is, like, one of my favorite stories. Um, Moses is up on Mount Sinai, uh, and this is after the tablets. Like, Lord's people are just doing crazy stuff. And he's up there, and he's just like, Moses has this moment where I just can't even believe he asked it. But he says, Lord, show me your glory. Like, that's what he asked for. Um, It's in Exodus 33. It says, Moses says, please show me your glory. And notice what's said. The Lord responds, and he says, I will make all of my goodness pass before you and will proclaim before you my name, the Lord and I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and I will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. But he said, you cannot see my face, for the man shall not see me and live. And the Lord says, behold, there is a place by me where you shall stand on the rock. And while my glory passes by, I will put you in the cleft of the rock, and I will cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I, take, then I will take away my hand, and you shall see my back, but my face shall not be seen. It's this like incredible moment where Moses is like the Lord allows His glory to pass by him, and He puts him in the cleft of the rock, but He allows him to see part of Him, and we see it again with Elijah, um, where Elijah is called out of a cave to stand at the crest, at the edge of a cliff, and the Lord says, He says, "Go out and stand on the mountain before the Lord," and He says, "Behold, the Lord will pass by," and you get you got these things that happen that just point to who God is. And when you put that in context, you're like, okay, so what does this mean? Like, like what, but what does this mean for our story today? That Jesus would walk out on the water and that he intended to pass by them. Um, I think what you see is that God passing by Moses and Elijah is just a foreshadowing intended of what he was intending to do, that the greatest of these displays, these theophanies, like the greatest of these visual representations of God was ultimately always going to be Jesus. Like he's the final one. That there would be a day that it would be complete, but even in the gospels, that we would see this beautiful, beautiful visual display of the God of the Old Testament with us. And I think in this moment, what they're meant to see is the Jesus displaying his divine nature for them. That he's walking on the water, that he's the ruler of all things, and that as they look out, that they would see his glory but something happens. So in verse 49 through 51, it says this, it says, but when they saw him walking on the sea, they thought it was a ghost and cried out for they all saw him and were terrified. But immediately he spoke to them and said, take heart. It is I do not be afraid. And he got into the boat with them and the wind ceased and they were utterly astounded. Um, Again, I probably have sympathy for them because I'm like, if I'm in the middle of a storm and someone comes walking to me on the water, not like in the water, but like on the water, I got issues, you know? <laughs> like if it's glowing, I'm like, yo, this is like, so I would probably have a similar response, but they're, they're like utterly terrified. Um, and so the very first thing that he says to them is take heart, like be of courage, you know, like take heart. And then he says, it is I, do not be afraid. Now, um, that the word, it is I, I think it's easy, again, for us to read that and be like, well, he's just saying, hey, I'm here. Um, but that phrase in particular is what he's saying. Um, there's two words. There's one that the way that like in the Greek that people would say I am. Um, and so the way that they would say I am is ego and emi. Like ego and emi. Now that's like, what are you talking about? So like, you have two different options. If you're like, I am here, or I am somebody, that's how you would announce yourself. But the way that the gospel writers do it, specifically in the book of John, John's I am statements are like what guides you through the whole book. But specifically in the book of John, and we we see it here, is they, they put those two words to get two words together. It's like ego emi. And they say it like one after the other, and it almost is kind of like a stutter. Like you, it would, in the actual translation would be like, "I am, I am." Um, and so Jesus shows up. He says, "Be of good courage. I am, I am." And then he gets in the boat. He says, "Don't, don't be afraid." And you're like, "Why does that matter?" Well, it's because what Jesus is doing again is he's explaining who he is, not just what he's doing in that moment. Um, that when Moses asked God for his name the response was tell them I am has sent you to Egypt that we would see all throughout the old testament that is as, as God is like referring to himself he says I am who I am and the idea with that is that like I am is that he he always has been currently is and always will be to make that claim and for Jesus to say that to his disciples is audacious. <laughs> like, it's blasphemy if it's not true. Like, you just wouldn't say that. And so what he's saying to his disciples and what, he's, what we need to be encouraged by is that in the middle of the storm, he comes to them and he says, I am is here. I've always been, I always will be, and I'm currently here in your boat. It's going to be okay. Um, and I think for us, that's, that's encouraging. And we see all of the um, scripture authors encouraged by that because there's something about knowing that there is a God that's greater than and outside of your circumstances that changes the way that you believe. We all need to hear that. But there's a God that's greater and outside of your immediate circumstance that changes the way that you believe. It changes who you are. Um and then we see finally at the very end uh we see this last this last statement that were given by Mark um, in Mark 52, 6, 52 they say it says for they did not understand about the loaves but their hearts were hardened um and we go all the way back and Mark does this where he um He does this with parables. He does this with stories where he will tell us a portion of the story, tell another story, and then finish it. Um, But what we see here is that Jesus oftentimes, he'll tell a parable and then he'll explain it to his disciples. Um, In this setting, he displayed a miracle and he allowed them to feel it through another miracle. Like there's a dissonance that's felt in this moment that they don't understand fully what is happening. Actually, they still believe similar to the crowd. So now when they're in the boat, the reason that they weren't able to see and understand and comprehend and appreciate the glory of God walking on the water is because they didn't realize when God provided for them with the bread, that that was meant to portray something far greater than just your stomach. Like this was always meant to represent that he is God in the flesh, and they're just not getting it yet. Like they're learning, even though they've been sent out, even though they've come back, even though as they're learning, they're still growing in this knowledge of like, who is this Jesus? And so as readers, we get to watch them make their way through this story and one story at a time, just grow in their faith. And what I think I've just realized is that oftentimes that growth comes through Jesus exposing some disbelief in them. Like Jesus is just revealing to them what they don't believe yet. And the reason that he does that, as we close, the reason that he does that is because there's coming a day um, where this great I am, this Jesus, goes to the cross and there's a resurrection. And so while they don't believe now, they need to believe then, right? Right? Like even if they don't believe in this moment and they're trying to understand who this Jesus is, it's not till they see, the, they see the resurrected Jesus Christ that all of these stories begin to make sense. That they look back on all of everything that they've gone through and they'd be like, he is the God that calms the seas. He is the God that provides, the, provides the, and satisfies us completely. He is the God that conquers everything for us. He provides healing, he restores, he does all of that. And why does he do that? Because he is, I am. That's who he is. And so, even something like death is conquered in Christ. Um, so, as um, as we close, as Aaron comes up, I wanted to just ask um, one last question and allow us some time just to sit in it. Um, this was the question that we, this is the question that we posed in the middle, in the middle of this. Is we're like looking at the disciples on the water. Um, I think it's just helpful for us to think through. I think we all come in with a lot of different stuff going on in our lives. Um, I don't know what's going on in your life, where you've been, what, what um, your circumstances are. Um, but what do you do when you feel abandoned by Jesus? What do you do when you feel abandoned by Jesus? And I want you to just kind of like very quickly, one of the things that we often do is we will just give the right answer. And you'd be like, well, you just told me that it's it's actually belief. You have more belief in Jesus, so you write that down. I'm not asking what I would, like, what I'm trying to help us walk into. What I'm saying is just be honest with yourself. Like, what do you do? Like, what do you genuinely do when you feel like there's a moment where you've been abandoned by Jesus? What is your natural instinct? What does the storm cause you to do? Is there doubt? Is there frustration? Is there anger? Um, Write that down, Um, because I think as we walk through this with the disciples, we have to take a genuine approach to what we're actually feeling and understanding about Jesus. Um, And then how do you understand the fact that that fear that you experience um, and that peace that you desire, actually the bridge is a belief in the person and work of Jesus Christ? Um, Do you believe that to be true, or do you not? Are there other things that you go for to try to find that peace? Or do you look to Christ and you're, do you, again, press into your belief and faith in Jesus to find that peace that you desire? The question that we're, that we're asking, that we're just always asking, is who do you say that he is? Um, I'm praying that as we go through the book of Mark, that our idea of Jesus would just explode. Um that it would grow drastically, Um, that we would be challenged to think about him in ways we never have, challenged to believe things about him that we haven't ever, maybe even grow in the understanding of our own belief that we've claimed that we've had for a long time, that we would be able to sit back and say, you know what, I honestly, I think that there is greater belief still yet to be had in my own life, in my own way that I I live out my faith. So let me pray for us this morning and we'll continue in worship. Father, um, yeah, we're thankful today. Um, Lord, we're thankful for you. We're thankful that you are the great I am. Lord, we're thankful that you are the visible rep- representation of God. Um, Lord, that as we look at Jesus, that we can see God in the flesh. Lord, that we can be confident in that, that we can see your power and that your power would be something that would point to who you are. Um, Lord, that we would look at your power and we would feel comfort. or that we would look at your power and that we would feel like we have a God that knows and sees and cares for us. Lord, I, I pray for anyone in this room that does not feel that. Um, Lord, I pray for anyone that feels like they're, that they're lacking. Um, Think, uh, I think of the words in Matthew 11 where you, um, we've said over and over again, I think it's because we need to hear him. But what you say is come. Come to me. Come to me. All. Oh, everyone. is weary, is heavy laden, and that you will give rest. So, Father, Lord, would that, um, would that be where we find ourselves? Again, resting in you and believing in you. Um, Lord, would you show us the peace that only you can offer. It's different than the world gives. Um, Lord, you give real peace. In your name, amen.